And welcome to this special sponsored interview from Ossert's 2013 conference on the Gold Coast. I'm Patrick Gray. In this interview, we chat with Paul Ducklin of Sophos, uh, and we're chatting about trends in code signing technology designed to combat malware. During the great SSL wars of 2011, when hackers like uh, Komodo Hacker went cyber berserk, owning certificate authorities and minting their own uh, certs for sites like Gmail and Facebook, valuable lessons were learned. It's becoming the norm for browsers to pin certs for well-known websites these days. And now this same approach to certificate sanity checking is finding its way into code signing checks. Microsoft's latest version of EMET, uh, version 4.0, which I think is still in beta, uh, will pin certs for signed applications. And it's a good idea. It makes life a little tougher for the bad guys. But as you'll hear, it's not going to kick the can that far down the road, as Paul Ducklin explains. It's the other side of the same coin. If you like it, if you like it with SSL, then you'll like it with signed code. Uh, really, the way I see certificate pinning is it's kind of a whitelist or an allow list for certificates. In other words, hey, we know that these are the guys who signed this code in that name. So if anyone tries to swap that certificate from under us or bring in a certificate signed by a CA that we think we trust, but it isn't really the one who's supposed to be doing it, then we'll spot that there's been a change. So it doesn't necessarily help with the little guys where their certificates and their their certificate authorities may be volatile but it certainly helps with large-scale compromises by saying hey someone seems to have done a bait and switch yeah i also wonder too uh one unintended consequence of this is it actually might lock people into having to re-sign with the same ca which is kind of an anti-competitive uh you know thing in the industry isn't it if if your ca knows that it's going to cause you and your users all sorts of headaches to swap over There'll be like a bit of a transition hump while the OS learns to trust the new signing authority. Um, then they can basically charge you whatever they want. Yes. So what you're saying is that the people who are doing this, particularly with code, in this case Microsoft, but maybe maybe others will join in, do need to be pretty open and flexible about how the the the, the correspondence they have with people who are signing code, so that I can I can formally tell Microsoft, hey. I've changed my certificate. You yeah, should expect or, this. Or you might even say to them, just expect a change or, you know, uh, expect that our signing authority is going to change from, you know, GeoTrust to Thought or something like that. Of course, that then leads to a nice little attack, which is, you know, the same as SMS number porting. Oh, look, we've got two-factor authentication because the, these messages are only ever delivered to your phone. No, they're not. They're delivered to the phone that has your SIM in it. And your SIM is actually not doesn't belong to you. It's provided by a mobile phone company. If someone can switch it out from under you, you're undone. Although, so although Paul, sort of one thing that's really interesting is that uh, telcos in South Africa actually are working with the banks so that they can add extra protections like checking the IME. Um, now, I don't know how far that gets you because the problem is if you can socially engineer someone's phone number, I'm guessing you could probably socially engineer, um, you know, uh, to, to allow for an IME change as well. But uh, it is something that is, I guess, an interesting development in the, in the business sense in that the telcos are actually working with the banks uh, to combat a mutual problem. Uh, that's, a, that's a good and, thing. Yes, and, and I guess, you know, 
one needs exactly the same sort of protocol that says this is a little bit unusual, um, that would be useful for code signing so that if you want to make it flexible, so I can easily say, hey, I'm, my certificate's changing, uh, it's probably going to be have to be me that says that, and you can't just phone up Microsoft and say, hey, new cert on mm. the way. Well, it's just um, one level, isn't it? It's it, one level of sanity checking on signed code, and, and that's just got to be a good thing. You mean the whole idea of pinning in the first place? Yeah. Yes, although the problem with allow lists and block lists where you say, right, we're going to, we know that this probably won't change, so we'll lock it down with a list, is that then you have that whole problem of, well, how do you trust the list? How do you trust the list not to have false positives and false negatives? And of course, it can never be perfect. But certainly for mainstream sites uh, in, in, in SSL certificate pinning, it's really helped against egregious misuse. Um, if I'm not wrong, the the fake Google certificates that were minted by what was it Turk Trust in in Turkey? Uh, if you're using Chrome, those just popped up as bogus because Chrome knows what Google certificates are supposed to look like because it's Google's browser. So although it won't solve the problem entirely, at least at least it stops you know an incredible disaster. So we I guess hope. to get around this, you either need to steal the private key. Or you socially engineer the person who has, uh, who, who is in charge of deciding which certificate goes into the allow list. Or, of course, we all find that actually people are so sloppy with how many certificates they have for signing their code that the whole thing's intractable. And we get to the point that when the warning pops up, you just go, nah, she'll <laughs> be right and carry on anyway. And that's really the problem. So maybe the, maybe the silver lining in what could go wrong is that this might actually bring out just how sloppy some people are with, with code signing. So it might actually so just go, sort of oh, force people to get their act together, you think? I suspect that it very well might. For example, you know, if you think back to the, um, as an analogy, the, the recent hack of the US Department of Labor site with an IE zero day, it wasn't actually their main site that was hacked. It was a microsite that was run as a separate server by a separate group, something to do with radiation exposure. And it fell under the Department of Labor umbrella, but presumably, you know, it wasn't subject to the same security checks because it was run by a, a little team on the side. And I imagine in many code development houses, there's exactly the same problem. Hey, there's a main team that writes all these important executables. And then, you know, for all the fancy new features, there's a little team that kind of does its own thing and signs its own stuff that makes all the DLLs. So perhaps it will bring out just how unregulated let's hope that that's not the case but if there is poor quality control or you know poor sort of central oversight of who labels their own code as trusted in big software development houses this might bring that out so there mm. might be a little bit of pain which will actually be gained for us all by saying wow that's a, that's an interesting uh, you know, little idea isn't it that the um those little hanger sites that are cobbled together by the marketing team that we um that we see getting owned uh, it's an interesting idea that there might be subgroups of developers within software organizations that kind of look like that We'd certainly have to expect that is likely. If you, I mean, we've seen it with websites, as we just mentioned, the microsites. We certainly see it still to this day with email, 
uh, when people publish SPF records that says, hey, here's a definitive list of our email servers, very few organizations actually put the little label at the end of the SPF record that says, and no other servers are acceptable. Everyone leaves a little question mark at the end so that they can have some EDM company to send mail on their behalf. And if you're that casual with official correspondence about the company that has you know, attachments or links to sites, calls to action. I don't see why we wouldn't expect that you might be casual about the code that you publish. Mm, indeed, indeed. Now, uh, it's not just uh, uh, stolen certs and, and compromised CAs, or stolen keys and compromised CAs that um, that lead to malware writers being able to you know execute as trusted. Sometimes legitimate developers are signing code that is a little bit too flexible um, and can actually be used to achieve nefarious aims. And I believe uh, you have an example of this. Yes, um, there's a malware family called PlugX, and uh, we have some tech reports on this family on uh, on Sophos.com, which uses an intriguing trick that in order to add a veneer of respectability to some shonky code that it wants to load along the way. In other words, it's take instead of just giving you an executable and loading it, it sort of divided the malware infection up into multiple stages, a bit of shellcode, a little dropper, a loader, etc. The idea is that each step is supposed to trigger your intrusion detection system just that little bit less severely. And at one point, they have this program that in the old days, they just load as an executable. But now what they've done is they've built it as a DLL. And in with the DLL, they shipped somebody's legitimate executable that signed that if it had a pinned certificate, the certificate would still be 100% fine. Um, but they choose an exe that has a DLL load ordering vulnerability. In other words, the exe signed and it's expecting to load a DLL, like for example, setup.dll but it doesn't check what directory or doesn't check that it's loading the right DLL. So you steal someone else's program that gives you a veneer of respectability. One example was it was an NVIDIA uh, driver of some sort. So it was actually signed by NVIDIA. Um, and then you trick it into loading your DLL, which is the malware, and then you let the original program exit. So there's no purpose in having the thing to load, except that it, it sort of gives you a little bit of... Uh, wallpaper and plaster rendering that makes your application look good because it's actually been loaded by a signed application. Now, I think the uh, malware that took over Saudi Aramco and uh, vaped 30,000 of 40,000 of their systems actually used a similar trick. And it's almost like those, um, you know, those old school Unix permissions hacking type stuff, isn't it? You know, it's very, it's very old school, but now applied to, you know, bypassing the crypto rather than bypassing just the directory permissions or, you know, trying to pop out of the user, user space. Yes, in the old days, you, you used, you know, LD library path or some kind of library loading order as a way of injecting your code into somebody else's program that you expected to run. Um, in order to borrow their trust as a program that you, that somebody else wanted to load. Here, it's almost the other way around. You don't actually want their program to run, but you just know that when it does run, it's kind of going to look, it might look unusual that you've never run that program before, but on the scale of unusualness, you'll go, oh, well, it's digitally signed, so it must be fine. And in the end, you actually want to inject your DLL into a process of your own choosing, and you don't really care that it's an NVIDIA driver. Um, so yeah, it's it's the same trick, but, but used in, I, I shouldn't use the word novel, 
Um, that makes it sound too good. It's okay. It's okay. You can you can admire the ingenuity without condoning the practice, Paul. I like the way you put that. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us to chat about the idea of pinning certs. Uh, you know, in Emet, I think it's an interesting idea. It's uh, probably not going to get us as far as uh, some people think it will, but uh, probably on balance worth doing. Paul Ducklin, thank you. Thanks, Patrick. 